welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church, and I am joined in the booth with my boy and friend, colleague, Colin Jones. <laughs> What's up, man? Not a lot. I don't What's know going? what to say. Like, it, I was just going to keep going. That's cool. Yeah. Well, colleague. Yeah. I don't know what that word even means, but whatever. We write academic papers and stuff. Okay. We sh- yeah, we should start doing that. Mm-hmm. Um Anyways, we are back. We discussed justification, like, what, two weeks ago, Mm -hmm. the Reformation Day, and so we're like, hey, we both preached on another doctrine that we wanted to talk further about, because what most people don't know about sermon prep, at least faithful sermon prep, is that it takes more than an hour to write a sermon, usually. Colin, how how many hours do you think you put into just reading, studying, praying over the last two sermons you preached? Uh, depends. Probably like eight to fifteen, though. Yeah. Between prayer and preparation. Yeah, and reading. I think that's that's normal. So you mm-hmm. take fifteen hours of preparation, mm-hmm. and then you have to dwindle that down into twenty, 20 minutes. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have so much more content, so many things that we read that we wanted to just share with you and the listener, hopefully to encourage you and some of the thought process behind how we write a sermon, what we're thinking about, and all that stuff. So that's why we wanted to do this. Hopefully it is helpful and encouraging to you. Um, But yeah, so we talked about the doctrine of adoption. So this last uh, Wednesday, and Colin preached on—what did you preach on? I preached in Galatians 4, 1 through 7, but 29 in chapter 3 is necessary to know what he's talking about. So you took Galatians. I took Galatians. Out of all the passages. So I think there's like six or seven— key passages that mm-hmm. you could turn to. Mm-hmm. Uh, John 1, 11 through 13. Uh, Ephesians 1, 5. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. Romans uh, 8, 15. Romans 8, 15. Romans, uh, Romans 9, 3, when it talks about Israel receiving the adoption mm-hmm. of sons, so a national adoption. And then Galatians, your passage. And then 1 John 3, which doesn't use the term adoption, but it uses talking about how see how great the love see how kind see what kind of love the father has shown us who are now children of God so this idea of being his sons anyways so you took galatians was there any reason for that or yeah i love i love first of all paul's argument in here um through chapter 3 and then into chapter 4 it's it's an argument that you have to follow and i only got to take this one little snippet out of it which is difficult in an argument but he still there's a process to what mm-hmm. he's arguing here he goes um, just like the flow of my sermon, and you can just read this in chapter 7, or I'm sorry, verse 7 of chapter 4, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The whole section that I chose just shows that process. Yeah, yeah, the outline's right there. So what would you say is the definition of adoption? How would you define the doctrine of adoption? I think most people know what that means in earthly terms, and obviously God is using that as an analogy mm-hmm. for our spiritual adoption. So, yeah, in all your reading, what do you— yeah, what'd you come up with? Yeah, I it's difficult to boil it down to one sentence because there's so many awesome things about it, mm-hmm. so many good things about it. But it's after God has uh, given us new life, we have had faith and repentance. He's justified us, and now he takes us and he makes us into sons. And when he makes us into sons, also makes us into heirs. And so there's benefits in that. It's a change of a change of so nature. Does, or is there is there a difference in time between our justification and adoption and conversion and regeneration, all that stuff? That's interesting. Yeah. So chronologically, or in yep. in a position of time, there's not a difference. It happens 
boom, like that. In an instant. So right. the second that I uh, am enabled by the Holy Spirit to believe and I, and I cry out to the Lord in faith, that is, at that moment, I'm justified, declared right before God, acquitted, mm-hmm. pardoned of my sin. But then also, I'm not just set free. I don't just now have peace with God. What does adoption teach us then? Yeah, it's like the plus side of justification. He mm. takes it, and God just amps it up. He brings it up a level. It's really, it's cool. Yeah. So, but there is a logical flow to mm-hmm. it, though. So while there's not a chronological flow, there is a logical flow. Mm-hmm. And so God makes us new in order to make us capable of having faith and repentance. A dead person doesn't have faith and repentance. So God implants spiritual life in the dead soul. Right. Re- regeneration right. makes us alive, which then, logically, what happens after that? Conversion, faith, okay. and repentance. So we, we, res- we do respond as humans, our wills respond, and then in faith and repentance, so then what is that faith, what do we receive when we trust in Jesus? Right, so faith and repentance, then that leads to justification. We receive the merits of Christ is mm-hmm. what that is. And then not only that, but an Also receives sonship in Christ. Sonship. Yeah. Now, why Why does Paul, I mean, and pretty much everywhere, I think Ephesians 1, 5, uh, Galatians 4, 1 through 7, uh, Romans eight fifteen through seventeen. They all talk about adoption as sons, but not as daughters. Why? Why is that? Is Paul just a misogynist? Is he? Yeah. You know, is he a sexist? Is he just not care about women? What is this? Is this just the uh, you know the old patriarchy just popping its head in scripture? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Feminists, calm down. It's okay. No, I I open my sermon talking to the girls and saying although Paul says sons here, we have to look at the. Uh, historical evidence behind it and see that in ancient times no one would have wanted to be a daughter daughters didn't receive Mm. the same benefits or the same honors as sons even though they were still children Mm -hmm. and so when we say sons that is sons and daughters of god but specifically we need to note that sons received honors and sons received benefits that daughters didn't receive that we do receive in christ whether you're a guy or yeah galatians 3 what does it say right before your text right it it says that there's neither slave nor jew nor greek there's neither slave nor free and there's no male and female for you're all one in christ jesus yeah so in the new covenant that 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 changes but the analogy is still powerful that's why i didn't preach and say you have been adopted as sons and daughters i still kept sons there because of the historical uh, significance of that. So you said not just all sons, though, are, are, are blessed. There's, there's only one son, though, that really is blessed, at, right? Right, that's the firstborn son, mm-hmm. like me. Which, which is so interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm the firstborn. Let's go. <laughs> but, yeah, go ahead. Which, which, which in those days would mean that we were to be the heir of all the inheritance of our family fortune, which isn't very much, but, you know. It still would be great, right? In the family name, family, whatever land, whatever money. And what's what's interesting, though, too, is that Jesus in Colossians 1 is called the firstborn of all creation. Mm. Uh, it's not that he was born, like, created, but he's the heir. He's the he's God's only begotten son. Um, but now that we've been adopted in Christ, we become co-heirs. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's the beauty <laughs> of it, the underlying doctrine of our union with Christ or... Mm-hmm being made one with Christ. That's yeah. the only way we could be a firstborn is if we're made one with the firstborn. Yes. And so all the blessings of the firstborn, that is Christ, become ours by virtue of um, Christ's active passive obedience for us imputed mm-hmm. to it, our trusting in Jesus, right? Right. So <clears throat> that's pretty amazing. So that, that's, that's, that's clear for us to understand. Um, 
here. Paul was not a misogynist. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit writing through Paul. So, right. yeah, that would be calling God something we shouldn't. So, anyways, how is how is adoption then different than regeneration and justification? How if we could keep on teasing out that um, that distinction? I in reading John Murray, I see that he he says that you can't separate you can't separate justification and adoption and regeneration and adoption. They all happen at the same time, but you could distinguish between them. And I thought this was helpful. He said that in regeneration, we're giving a new nature, mm-hmm. which then, now that we're given the status of sonship, our, our, uh, we carry the family resemblance now in the way that we live. Mm-hmm. Right? I think you mentioned that. In I your- did, yeah. It promotes obedience. So mm-hmm. a son is going to look like his father. One question, one probing question that I tried to ask the junior high students was, how much of a son-like resemblance do you bear to your father Mm. so children look like their parents how much spiritually do you look like your father in heaven yeah and we know that prior to conversion we all have dead hearts we need a new nature and Mm. so this is where two and two they both go together adoption and regeneration is god by his grace gives us a new heart a new spirit new desires to then live out a court to live according to our new status as sons Mm -hmm. which is crazy i would even follow paul's thinking in romans um in justification, it's the law that condemns us, and so in a sense, it's our enemy. Mm. But now in adoption, and then further in sanctification, the law is our friend because it shows us more of who God is, more of how we're to live. Mm. That's that's good. I think most people see the law as their enemy, mm-hmm. unless they're legalists, right? Because they're saying that the law, they're adding the law to the gospel in order to merit salvation. But antinomians, anti-nomos, so anti-law, they say, no, we don't need the law anymore. We've been saved by grace. But they forget that the purpose of the law, yes, it was to condemn, it was to show you your sin, but it also is a rule of life. It shows us what is pleasing to the Lord. So in, in doing all this this study, what were some of the most, like, I, as I tried to explain, I said justification is, kind of, is the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But adoption is kind of the, it's the diamond of it. It's the gem. It's the, it's the beautiful... They're both beautiful, but I was trying to explain that in in illustrious language, language, but I'm not Charles Spurgeon, so (laughs) I don't know how to do that. Um, So how is adoption that? Like, why is it one of the most beautiful doctrines? And just in your study, how has it been comforting to you? I think just like everything else in this sermon series that we're doing right now on all of grace, how is salvation all of grace? Mm -hmm. Just like everything else, we see that adoption is also all of grace. And one of the most beautiful things of it is if there's this spectrum of honor and on one end is a slave mm-hmm. or worse than that, whatever yeah. that could be. Yeah. Paul uses the word slave in, in Galatians 4. And then on the other end is a son kind of in the middle and then an heir, so the firstborn son. Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing about adoption is this does not happen in the human world, but God takes what a slave and further, a slave who has trespassed, who has come into his home and has tr- committed treason against him. Yeah. And he takes him and he moves him on that spectrum to son, and then he moves him all the way to the to heirship of son. So it's yeah. like if someone breaks into your house. Yeah, you used this illustration. I wanted to tease it out yeah. a little bit more. So what was the illustration? It's like if someone breaks into your house one night, and then— it, so It'd be like you're considering someone to adopt, right? Mm-hmm. And— I think the normal person would be like, yeah, I'm looking for a birth mom. I mean, Caitlin and I are in the process of, of looking for someone to adopt. And so obviously our desire is the baby be healthy, um, 
you know, all, all, all that stuff, I think it would be natural for people to say, you know, I, maybe from a good family, I would look for that. I would look for good family genes or I don't know what, whatever. Um, I think Spurgeon uses the, he uses the illustration. I have it right here. Um, <laughs> I love what he says. He says, um, he, he used the illustration of like a king, um, Oh, this is what he says. He says, with what gratitude should we remember that though we were once very lowly original uh, in our original state, grace has put us into a number of the Savior's family. If a king should adopt any into his family, it would likely be the son of the one of his lords. At any rate, some child of respectable parentage, right? He would scarce, probably never take a son of a common fe- uh, common felon or some gypsy child to adopt him into his family. But God, in this case, has taken the very worst to be his children. Hmm. So going with the illustration, you are looking for someone to adopt. And I think it's the last person that you would ever think of is what kind of captures this idea. So you were, you were trying to tell the students, it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. as I was reading it, I was like, okay, so who is our natural father? That is Adam. Mm-hmm. You have to see Adam as a criminal and as a felon and who one committed, committed treason. treason against the Most yeah. High God. Mm-hmm. And so then that king, God, decides instead of adopting from one of the lords or nobles, like Spurgeon says, you just mm-hmm. read that quote. Instead, he goes and he finds this uh, guy who's committed treason against me and decides to adopt that kid as his son. Mm. And then further, he bestows an inheritance of the kingdom on that son. Mm. Yeah, I think of... I use the illustration for... Actually, I got it from Luther. When it comes to justification, he said it. it a good way to understand imputation is is in the illustration of marriage. And he said, there's Mm -hmm. this wealthy, righteous king. And, um, and then there's this woman who is a prostitute. She's the lowliest, most despised person in her country. And we are the prostitute. Jesus is the king. And he kind of asked the question, how is it that that prostitute ever be considered royalty? Mm -hmm. And then he goes on the illustration that one day the king set his love and affection upon her, knowing who she was. Um, and he decides to marry her, to court her and to marry her. And on their wedding day, the, the, the prostitute gets to say to the king, all that is mine, all my guilt, shame, all my life, all my po- poverty is yours. It's all yours. All that is mine is yours. But the king is so wealthy. He's so... He's so righteous. He's so gracious. He could cover all of her poverty, all of her shame, all of her guilt. And he says, all that is mine is yours. And in the moment, you know, so there's that status change. She goes from prostitute to declared royalty. Mm -hmm. Now, I think we could take that same exact illustration with adoption. So you have the, the worst despised teenage boy criminal. Just punk. Yes. He's never been loved. And he doesn't love anyone. He is a murderer. He is uh, a blasphemer, a slanderer. He's dirty. Um, every family that has tried to take him in, they've kicked him out. He is. He is. He is sick. You know, all you go go down, and one day, out of the kindness and affection of the king, sets his eyes upon him and his affection. Mm-hmm. How is it that that criminal can become royalty? It's only by virtue of the king adopting him, that lowliest creature, into his family. And that's exactly what happened, is not only was he justified, acquitted, but then welcomed in. All the, and when, when he's welcomed in, <laughs> I made the joke, like, when we, when we adopt the baby, who 
God has provided for us. I don't know who or when, but that baby is, as the moment the legal documents are signed and that, that baby is ours, he or she will receive all the benefits and privileges of being a stead, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which isn't that much, but it's, <laughs> I hope it's something, right? You know, she'll have access to me as her mm. father. She, she, he or she will have my ear um, whenever they're in, tr- in suffering or they'll have access to my bank account, to, my <laughs> to, to not much of what I have, right? And you go down the list, there's benefits. It's not just that there's an adoption, but there's an ongoing privilege hmm. of bearing the family name. Right, and that's that's one of the things that I want that I think I was missing when I was studying this doctrine that I was missing. It's like, yeah, I've been adopt, adopted into God's family, but I miss that it's an ongoing. Yeah, like you think about that, but it's an ongoing privilege that now, and this is this is why I preach on, First uh, John, three, because honestly, I was trying to get my heart to see the the wealth of this passage when he says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is the reason why the world does not know us, or the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. He's trying to get them. They don't see it, that now they have all these privileges at their, at, you know, at just the drop of a hat. It's theirs. It's reality. It's an already not yet. And that was one of the things that, I just had to come to grips with in prayer. And I know that you were going to read the Westminster shows that all the privileges that we have, but we forget, we forget who we are. Mm-hmm. And even in our, how that helps us. I don't know. What are you, what are your thoughts? Like in terms of the day to day living as a Christian stress, distraction, sin, suffering, you know, all those things, how that changes the way that we go through those things. It does. Yeah. It changes. Um, how we see ourselves or our identity because our identity has in fact been changed. We've Mm -hmm. been made, if you've been made sons of God, sons and daughters, but specifically sons of God, Mm -hmm. then you've received all these benefits. And there, I think there's two sides of it though that should be touched on when you're uh, talking about sin or when you're talking about Mm -hmm. um, disobedience towards God. And this was the question that I asked the junior hires was like a son is by nature, to be obedient to his parents. Mm-hmm. And so we now that we talked about this, now that the law has sort of changed towards us, now that it's no longer condemning us because yeah. of Christ, now we want to live under the law because we see it is the will of God that we do that. And if he's our father, then what else are we to do but live according to his yeah. will? And so it has sort of this this transformative aspect. It's, it's transforming us. Hmm. And that's where it leads into sanctification, which we'll touch on uh, soon yeah. next week mm-hmm. um, but so that's one part of it when you're facing sin as a son of God recognize that it is not your father's will that you do that but it's your father's will that you're obedient and as a son you need you are yeah. to be obedient and then for those that are doubting their salvation the ones uh, like like first John mm-hmm. the false teachers had come in and they had totally uprooted their faith same in Galatians yeah and uh, exactly um, yes and so Sorry, my mind just exploded there. <laughs> you guys in studying sanctification, I've been thinking about that. But they to- in First John totally uprooted their faith. These you know antinomians, anti-law, you know they they they're struggling with their assurance, and John is specifically writing to them to assure them. Hmm. And I, that's why I think that's the that's the power of First John three one through two. Don't you see what you have? And so for those that doubt their salvation, those that are believers, they love Jesus, but whenever they break God's law or whenever they find themselves in sin, 
they are hit with a thousand darts from Satan, questioning and being accused of whether they're truly in the faith. And this is where I think all those privileges, especially uh, having access to God as our Father, a good Father, mm. who's better than the best Father on the earth, who, and obviously better than the worst Father, depending on the spectrum that we come from. Yeah, you uh, that that His arms are always open towards you as a son. Like and the, as a daughter. Like the prodigal son, Like too. the prodigal son story, yeah. So good. And that was one of the things I really wanted to press on is like, you have the father's ear. You know, as soon as a father, like I, I just picture when we have our child in April, as soon as I hear a cry, my attention, well, I'm going to be dropping everything that I am doing to go and attend to what mm-hmm. happened. And that is how the father reacts to us, even in our sin, even in our sin, hmm. um, he is not a disappointed father. He is one that receives sinners and helps them, binds them up. He disciplines them, too. So if you continue to backslide, he so loves you that he will discipline you for the sake of restoration, <laughs> but he will never cast off. You know. So those are some powerful—those are some things that, like, man, hit me hard while I was studying this in, in such a good way. I don't know about you, um, if there was any— any other things that you wanted to share just that were really impactful as you were setting this? Yeah, there's a lot of benefits here, and this is what the Westminster helped me with, kind of just listing these out, and I'll just read them um, the benefits right of out adoption, of the right? Benefits of adoption. So there's one sense we want to be obedient as sons, but then there's another sense, like you said, how does this doctrine not only push us towards obedience mm-hmm. uh, as sons, but then also how does it comfort us when we fall, or how does it comfort us in the in the daily living? Like, yeah, yeah. So and, uh, the London Baptist Confession, chapter 11, 1689, is p- practically the same. Right. So why don't you— I'll read Westminster, chapter 12. It's, on, it's of adoption. Um, chapter 12. So all those that are justified, God uh, makes uh, in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to be partakers of the grace of adoption. So there's that. By which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. And here they are. Mm-hmm. One, they have his name put upon them. They receive the spirit of adoption. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness. They're enabled to cry out, Abba, Father. They're pitied, protected, provided for. They're chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, yep. yet disciplined, chastened. They're sealed to the day of redemption by, by that Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And they inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Mm. There's just there's so much there. The language is rich. The ideas are rich. Yeah. Um, I even love in your passage the Trinitarian formula that Paul uses. Yes. Um, we see that God sent forth his son. It's like a missional sending forth, a purposeful, an intention. Born, born of a woman, right? He's of human nature, but without original sin, right? Born under the law as a covenant of works to obey it, just like Adam. Um, to redeem those who are under the covenant of works or under the law <clears throat> so that we might become adopted as sons or did i get the language right there um yeah so that we might receive the adoption as sons yeah yep and then it says what read the next verse yeah uh and because you are sons god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father yeah so the spirit the spirit who then cries out abba father did you do any study on abba father like what that that was in your reading did you i know it's the cry it's that um what you talked about the cry of like when you have a when you have a child in yeah. April there that cry I of think it's a cry help. of anguish yeah. right so I think it's the context that 
when you're going through suffering, the Spirit will, as it says in the Westminster Confession, uh, enable. What does it say? Um, we are enabled to a, cry, enabled, Abba, so, Father. Yeah, instead of in that suffering, that person cursing God, mm. it's a crying out to God for help, and that is an assurance. That is that is what happens if you are truly a son. Is the Spirit confers or um, confirms with our spirit that we mm-hmm. are sons. I think Romans uses that language mm-hmm. as well. Um, so an inherent to assurance right here in the passage too. Um, that's, that's beautiful. Um, yeah. So many cross references there. So out of all the things that you, uh, Colin, how was your, who did you read? What were, what, what did you find to be helpful? I know that you sat with the text a little bit more mm-hmm. on this one, right? Yeah. This was the structure of my study. I spent six to eight hours on Monday reading over the text going to the Greek, trying to just understand the text. Like, I, yeah. I this is my new, what I want to do from now on, is I want to see the text as a furnace. Um, the text that I'm to preach on is a furnace, and I want to be cast into the furnace and molded and changed and forged um, my own heart, and then I want to come out and I want to share that with whoever is listening, and I want them to be sure. changed by it in the same way. So the text is primary. Mm-hmm. That was Monday. And then I believe Monday night after all the... I was in the text. Then I sat down and I read like six different books, like a, a chapter or two mm-hmm. out of each. Um, Michael Horton in A Pilgrim Theology is helpful. John Murray I found especially helpful this time. What book by John Murray? Just... Redemption and Accomplishment okay. Applied by John Murray. Yeah. Um, and you can probably just look up his adoption chapter. Yeah, we've been using Free Grace Pro- Broadcaster. Mm. You get free uh, Kindle or Apple book, like... There are these little, I don't know how to explain them. Like, like little brochures or pamphlets? Yeah, and you could even order them for free. Of like They have like eight different little sections by different scholars from the past. So mm-hmm. I read John Murray's in that. Mm-hmm. I read it twice on accident. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Who else did you read? Um, if you remember. I know I read Matthew Henry on this, and he was helpful. That helped me understand the text a little bit better. It helped mm-hmm. me understand what, what was the slave ship like. And then it helped me understand the progression of the text, Galatians 4, 1 through 7, of yeah. slave ship to sonship to heirship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those were those were the big ones this time for me. Yeah. Um, and I also Spurgeon was helpful on this. I know, yeah. I know you read that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about you? What did you read to prepare? Yeah, so I did the same thing. I know sometimes I don't have enough, I don't have time, and I go straight to the commentaries and stuff, but this time I, I got to sit with the text. I studied your text. Mm-hmm. I, I parsed it and like went went to the, looking at the Greek, trying to understand the words, um, and then I came out and I actually preached at a preaching lab. It's like I went 16 minutes instead of 15, and uh, then it, that night I went home and I switched my text to first John three. And so, yeah, but I spent a lot of time in those, that text in John one, kind of looking at all the texts. And then I listened to, uh, I listened to RC Sproul's lecture on adoption. Mm -hmm. I listened to Martin Lloyd Jones sermon on adoption. Mm -hmm. And then I read on the first two verses in Galatians, Luther's commentary on Galatians, which was so good. That was like fun. And then I ended up not even preaching on the text because so much of it was about the law and I just wanted to talk about adoption. So, which it makes sense. If you're going to preach Galatians, you got to preach the law. Um, 
but with the time that I have with the students, I just wanted to get straight to the doctrine. Mm-hmm. So I did First John three. So wait, before you move on, real quick, mm-hmm. what were there any other reasons that you changed your text from? Because you we were both going to do Galatians four originally. You changed to First John three. Mm-hmm. Were there any more reasons besides that that you wanted to change your text? Yes. Yeah, so I think to be faithful to Galatians, which I think you were faithful definitely um, with the junior hires. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to do. You're jumping into the middle of an argument mm-hmm. since we're not preaching through the book of Galatians. So I felt like I was jumping right into the middle of an argument, which I was, which means that I have to do some pretty extensive background and context for the high schoolers to understand the argument and the flow, right. which means I need to spend a considerable time in on the law and then on Christ's redemption and then how that redemption is applied by the Holy Spirit in adoption. When the whole the whole purpose of our sermon series was just to look at each word. So right. I felt like I had 30 minutes and I didn't I wanted to take all 25 minutes if I could on adoption instead of only 15. Right. So then I went to 1 John and my argument was he says see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So the argument was like what does John see that we do not? What is he trying to get them to see? See what kind of love. And then I just went straight from there using selected scriptures as well saying what is yeah what is it? What is adoption? And then what is it about adoption that gets John marveling or wondering about this? And so my first point was see the author, which I did the Trinitarian formula from Galatians 4. God is the author. He didn't need us. He's not a needy God that needed to bring us into. I don't know. Like, you know, I try to explain that, but is out of the sheer grace. What is <laughs> Ephesians 1 5 says for the according to the purpose of his will is why he adopted us. So out of just his sheer mercy and grace, two was see the grace, and that was consider what you were before you were adopted, so mainly our sin, what we already talked about. Mm-hmm. And then see, my point number three was see, um, oh, what was it? See the cost, the cost of our adoption, which I, I went into this whole illustration. It, it usually costs 45K to, to adopt a child, right? And you bear that cost, as the parents and the child doesn't even know about it. So what was, what's the cost of our adoption? And I I went into this illustration, how some of the most unwanted children are actually freed of in our society, foster care. Right. And so you could adopt people for very, for, you know, the most unwanted for very little, but we were the most unwanted. Hmm. And yet the cost in which God, the price that was paid for our adoption was the blood of Jesus. So it was like the highest, the most valuable cost or price that was given to bring the most unlovely and unvalued, you know, into his family. I try to draw that out, just the beauty of that. Hmm. And then four is the privileges, which we already talked about. See the privileges of adoption and see the effects. That was kind of like, that was the structure of my sermon. I probably, it's just, <laughs> I lost track of time. I was just, it was great. But yeah, man, just. That's such a logical flow. I love that too. And bringing in the Trinitarian aspect, like you said, from Galatians 4 is important in order to see all of salvation like that. And particularly adoption is yeah. very clear. And definitely not all the points are here, but I, I brought, you know, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. So he, the source is the Father. That's point mm-hmm. number one. Uh, the love, the you know, or grace that has been given to us. That's my second point that we should be called children of God. Um, in that love is also talking about the redemption. So I had to go to Galatians 4 to understand the cost, you know, what that price was, Ephesians 1, 7. Then at the very end, verse 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now. So that's when I talked about the privileges of that. 
and says, And what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know, that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Um, And then it says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So there's the sanctification, the effect of adoption. So that was kind of, yeah. I feel like your sermon was a little bit, exegetically a little bit better than mine. Mine could have been more topical, but I think it worked out. Yeah. So Yeah, I like it. it. It's a beautiful topic. So, you know, we just hope that even as we talk about it, those that are listening, we we appreciate it. But it's not about us. We want you to be encouraged mm-hmm. in this. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you have, man, the riches of Christ at your fingertips by faith that are yours every single day. Um all the promises are yours in Christ. All you know, you could go on and on and on, but you got to remember that, and then out of that internal internalization of that comes a heart of gratitude that wants to obey and live for Jesus as a son or daughter of the Most High King. So, hmm. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Anyways, thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about Redeemer Church, you can go to RedeemerChurch or sorry, RedeemerRockford.Church or even Student Ministries, RedeemerRockford.Church forward slash, I think, RS. We'd love to have you on a Wednesday night. Colin and I, we're uh, working on sanctification now. So that's the next sermon and we'll hopefully have time to talk about it. Maybe for Thanksgiving. Yeah. The process of sanctification. It's like baking a turkey. I don't know. We'll release it on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving We'll figure that out and let you know. (laughs) All right, guys. You guys have a good one.